happened in the history of Israel. And as we do look at the history of Israel, I hope and pray as we've already looked at it several times, but that we don't just isolate it as a story that happened in the past. Uh, although, yes, these are narratives that really happened. This is true history that we're looking at here in the book of Judges and what we already looked at in the book of Joshua. But I hope we can always remember that God does not put his word here for no reason. That as we look at Judges, that we can look at ourselves and see how he relates to his people. We are his people if we know him as our savior and therefore God does not change. We're told that he is the same forever. And so therefore, if he doesn't change, then even how he worked and how he talked to Israel uh, can give us some insight into how he works with his people today and how he feels and how he does what he does. And so this is again, as we look at the book of Judges, just like with Joshua, all about God, not about specific people, not about even specific history, but mostly about who God is and what he does. And that's what we can worship him for. And so we come to Judges, and I've told you before, Judges is not an easy read in the sense of there are a lot of hard things for us to understand. There's a lot of heart uh, uh, just heart-wrenching things that happen in this book, and yet God gave it to us for a reason, and so this morning we continue to look at Judges. We're going to look at the end of chapter 2 and start with, ver- with chapter 3 this morning. This will be the last sermon before we get into the specific Judges and how God used them to deliver his people. We remember last week that God, in his mercy and in his grace, will give Israel judges, people who will deliver them from their pain and from their affliction because of his great compassion towards them. Uh, But a little bit of review, and then we'll get into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, If you remember the book of Joshua, we've been, we just, we got to keep that in our rearview mirror. Because without the book of Joshua, Judges is kind of hard to understand because Judges really is a contrast to what we saw happen in Joshua. And what happened in Joshua, there were promises that were made of God that he would do good to those who would obey him and yet he would have to do harm to those who would not obey him. And now we see in the book of Judges that that is coming true, that what God said in Joshua is still happening and now happening in the book of Judges. So we've seen so far, and remember, book of Joshua, God used Joshua to give Israel the promised land. There was a conquest of the promised land. All the land was under the control of Israel as God led Joshua and led Israel to many victories that they had no business winning. Then we saw, though, at the beginning of Judges, end of Joshua, beginning of Judges, that Joshua died and Israel must complete the conquest by driving out all the remaining Canaanites. See, although Israel had control of the promised land, they had the control of Canaan, they had defeated enough cities that they now had control over the region, there were still people, excuse me, there were still people that were Canaanites that were worshiping false gods, that were committing terrible sins, and this is their life, and they were still around, and Joshua dies, and what's told to Israel is, Finish driving all those people out because if you don't, they will bring you to compromise. And what we've seen so far in the book of Judges is that Israel started off in courage. They started doing what they were told to do. They started well. They started to drive people out. But then bit by bit, they started to compromise. They saw iron chariots and that caused them to not go forward to complete a conquest And then they saw an opportunity to make people of the region, to make Canaanites their slaves, because that would be so much better for them. They could use them for their advantage. 
And they made these compromises and slowly and surely uh, we see that Israel goes from starting off really well to completely falling apart. Worshipping other gods, walking away from God. And then last week we saw that they started this thing throughout the book of Joshua that we, or Judges, that we called a carousel of compromise. Which shows us a repeating cycle that happens in Judges. We're going to see it several times over and over again that Israel, they have high points and low points, but as we go, we remember that as they go round and round and the same things keep happening and they don't learn from their mistakes, not only does it go round and round, but it also goes down. And we see the spiral that goes down as Israel is not doing what they were called to do in, jo- in Joshua. And this repeating cycle happens again and again, and we'll see that first cycle next week when we look at Othniel. And Ehud. And we look at these, these guys, these judges that God had to bring, but we'll see the cycle that we've been talking about. But I have a question, and this question came up to my mind when I was reading this, and I'm thinking about Joshua, and I, this is the question, and maybe you've had this question. So why did God give Israel the opportunity for compromise? You know, the, the thing of this is, is God had the ability, he had the power, he had all that he would need to, since he is the one that was bringing the conquest to Israel. It wasn't through Joshua's strength, it wasn't through the strength of Israel, but it was through the strength of God himself. Why didn't God just get rid of all the Canaanites before Joshua died? Why couldn't it have just all been done? Why couldn't have God completed it for them, and then none of this would have had to happen? He could have given them the land and, uh, you know, made it so that no other people could come in. And they could have been Israel. They could have been strong. They could have been pure. Why didn't God drive everyone out when he could have? It seems almost unfair to Israel that God would say, you know what, Uh, I'm going to drive most of them out, but I'm going to leave some behind. Like somehow God didn't complete the conquest. That somehow God failed or somehow God wasn't big enough. But we know that none of that is true. We see throughout the Bible that God can and will do whatever he pleases. So that must lead us to this idea and this understanding that God had a specific purpose for not driving all the people out. God doesn't do anything haphazardly. He doesn't do anything that doesn't make sense. Maybe it doesn't make sense to us, but he has a purpose in everything he does. So what was his purpose for leaving the Canaanite people in the land? Why didn't he drive all of them out? Why did he leave some after Joshua died? Well, we're told today in our passage, we're told in Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 20. And let's just read that for a moment. Judges 2.20. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, once again because of the cycles that they continued to go through. And he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant, broken their promise, that I have commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations uh, that Joshua left when he died. So there's that idea, Joshua left some when he died. In order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So there's more to it. We could read the whole passage. I'm just going to stop there to say that God left people and Joshua did not have the complete conquest because God had a plan to test his people. Today we're going to see what that test was, 
how Israel responded, what God's purpose for this test was, how God has been a God of testing from the very beginning and all through history, and then finally how God still tests us today. And as we look at those things, I hope it reminds us as we see that God is a God of purpose. Because let's just be honest, there are times in our life where it feels like we're, we're constantly having troubles and problems and pains and we don't know why God is doing what he's doing and it becomes almost upsetting and it can make us angry and it can make us very sad and depressed and we can look at life and say, why isn't life perfect? Israel could have looked around and said, why aren't all the people gone? Sometimes we might say, why are there so many troubles in my life? Well, I would say that one reason could be that God is testing you, but we'll get there uh, in just a moment. Test. A lot of times we think the word test and it's a negative connotation. Um, is Dale here? I, I saw him for, oh, there he is, Dale. I love Dale because he just told us at the elders deacons meeting on Tuesday that what he does in his retirement is he sits at his house and he takes regent's tests. Yeah, that's what he does. And then he corrects his own and, uh, and then says he gets a hundred, but I'm not sure that's true. So, um, <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. No, no, actually, Dale, you're going to be a positive example today. So just bear with me. Come visit. Yeah, so if you're going to if Dale invites you to his house, it's probably not going to be for like food and entertainment. It's probably going to be to take a test with him. So just be careful. Um, But many of us hate tests, right? We think tests in school, you remember if you were in school, how it just, you you didn't look forward to them. They were not a good thing. They were just very negative. Uh, But Dale is is an, an example of someone who loves tests. But why would he love tests? Well, If we really think about tests, they're not all bad like we like to think. You know, maybe you think of a school test and you think that's just, you're going to have to cram and it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Maybe we're beyond school. Maybe we can think of other tests. You know, some of us are young enough that you might need to take driver's tests or medical tests. Everybody loves going to the doctor and getting tests done, right? No. Uh, Everybody, that, those things seem like they're bad things. So when you hear the word test, you can automatically think a negative thing. But I would encourage us all, in a sense, uh, to look at tests the way Dale looks at tests. Because the reason he takes tests is to further his mind, to keep himself fresh, to understand math. Yeah, that's what he's taking too, it's math, it's not just, you know, the fun subjects. But as we see this, but this thing of, of, of tests, though, a lot of us might not understand that. But think about tests. School tests, why do we have tests? It's not just to make us miserable in school, college, or whatever. Maybe you're taking a test in your, in your profession. It's to make sure you're learning and to make sure that you're understanding things so that you can be better in life. So you can be better at your job or you can be better in school or you can get into college better if, you, if you're in high school. Or at college, you're learning your, your job, you're learning your field. And it's good to know what you need to know. And so tests are there to test that, to help us learn Without tests, many of us would never study. And so studying is a good thing because it can further you in life. I mentioned driver's tests. Could you imagine a world in which we just gave licenses to people without expecting them to take a driver's test? Well, many of us would probably be uh, in the hospital right now, okay? Because there would be car accidents everywhere. But yet for our safety and for our good, there are driver's tests. Medical tests, I don't think I need to say too much. I know they're not fun, they're not enjoyable to go through, but if you have those tests done and you find that there is something wrong, they can fix it. 
So ultimately, a medical test is for your good because a medical test is to help you get healthy. If you never do any tests, then you never know that something is wrong. And so uh, those are just some example of tests. Many times we think tests are negative because they might hurt for a short time. Because many of us aren't at the mindset of Dale that enjoys tests. I'm done with Dale now. But, you know, so we don't necessarily enjoy tests. However, tests are good. And that's what we need to understand as we go into what happens in Judges. Because God is going to test Israel. But I don't want us to look at the word test and think this is a negative thing. God wants to do good to Israel through testing them. Because he knows they will come out on the other side of the test better if they will pass the test. But therein lies the problem. Our first point this morning is that God does give Israel a test. He gave Israel a test and they failed it. You see, tests aren't good if you don't study for them. Tests aren't good if you fail them. They are good if you pass. And we see that Israel failed the test that God gave to them for their good. And so therefore, the good that was meant by the test becomes not good. We see, first of all, in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, we already read them, but in 2, 20 and 21, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. We already looked at those verses, but what do we understand? Right even at the very get-go, we're told that the test that God gave Israel failed. There's no question about this. We're not waiting to the end of the chapter to find out whether they passed or failed. They failed. And the consequence of their failure is that they don't experience the conquest that God offered. They don't, there is no conquest. Their consequence to failing the test that we're going to look at in a moment of what that test looks like is that they will not be able to drive out all the people the way God has asked them to do. In a sense, the hand of God is not going to any longer push them forward in victory because they failed his test that he gave to them, which brings us, we already mentioned it, but what was God's test? God's test was to leave some nations in Canaan. We see that in verse 21. He will no longer drive out any of the nations. Conquest won't happen. That Joshua left when he died. But then we continue to read more in this passage. In order to test Israel by them, whether they would take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines. We've heard that name before. And all, and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Labo Hamath. And they were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandment of the Lord. And so we're going to stop there, but that is the test. The test that we see is that God's test was to leave nations behind. That they wouldn't have complete conquest, that they would have to go forward and finish the conquest. This was the test that God gave that they failed. But what is the failure? Well, that as we continue on in verses 5 and 6. 
So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. God gives a test by leaving nations and their sinful practices and their false gods in Israel, in Canaan. He leaves them behind, and Israel fails, and they don't receive the conquest that he promised because their failure comes through intermingling with and idolatry. You could say intermarriage. I just say intermarriage or intermingling because intermarriage, sometimes people can say, well, now we're talking about you shouldn't have marriage between different people groups. That's not the problem here. The problem is they're intermingling with people who are idolatrous, who are worshiping false gods. And so their failure comes through intermingling and idolatry. They give their daughters and they take daughters from the people of the land that are sinful and that are worshiping false gods. And then they wonder why they become to, they come to worship false gods themselves. You see, they compromised again and they took foreign wives. They gave their wives to foreign men. They intermingled, they intermarried God's holy people, intermarried with the people of false gods. And that's how they fail their test. They were supposed to drive them out. See, watch this. The test was, they're still here. What were they supposed to do to pass the test? Well, they were supposed to drive them out. They were supposed to have courage enough to trust God to drive them out of the land. And instead of driving them out, they actually brought them in. They did the exact opposite of what God had called them to do. He said drive them out, and they brought them into their families. They brought them into their towns. They brought them into their lives. And as they did that, their false gods came with them. And so the first thing we see at the beginning of our passage this morning is that God gives Israel this test, and they fail it completely. It's important we understand that because the rest of Judges, we're going to see a lot of things happen to Israel, and most of them are not very good. God brings judges and he gives temporary deliverance, but they always go back to the same ways. And they, by the end of this book, are in a place that is going to be just downright as bad as you possibly can get. And this, this book gets very depressing and it's very hard to read when we see and we wonder, why would God let this happen? Why is God doing this to Israel? Let's remember he gave them a test But they're the ones who failed the test. And that's our second point I want to look at. They failed, but God that doesn't mean that God's test was bad. You see, because point two today is that God had a purpose to give this test. God had a purpose to give Israel this test. Well, let's see why. Chapter 2, verse 21 and 22 tells us the first reason, and that is that he wanted God wanted this test to prove Israel's courage in him. 2.21 and 22. I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. The first test, the first reason for the test, the good reason, the purpose that God had was for Israel to be able to prove itself to be just like the generation before that trusted God and courage and went forward and did what God asked. They had courage in the trusting in in God and they trusted God more than anything else and they went forward in, in courage. 
And so this test was to give this next generation courage to show that they were indeed courageous and trusting in God. And if they were to do that, then he would give great blessing. If they were to do that, they would have great joy. But yet, they don't do what he asked. They aren't courageous. They don't trust in God, but they trust in other nations. They trust in other gods. The second reason is found in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. The second purpose God had in his test to leave the people behind was to provide experience for the next generation. Now it talks about war and basically says if they haven't been in war, he wanted them to experience war basically so they didn't take anything for granted. If every if everything had been defeated and there had been a complete conquest and there was complete peace and no war, there would arise a generation that wouldn't understand struggle. They wouldn't understand what it means to have to to fight for God's glory, to fight for what God has given them. But I would say it goes even deeper than that. Because as we saw in Joshua, it wasn't about the army or the, the strategy or how strong the war machine that Israel had was, but it was about how strong God is. And I would say this, that God's test of leaving the nations was to provide an experience for the next generation of God's deliverance. That as the next generation would watch God continue to drive people out the way he promised he would, that that next generation would develop a trust in God because they would have seen his work. They would have seen him working. They would have seen the victories that he brought. And that could give them great faith and it would continue them in the way of following after their fathers because they would know God experientially. As we talked about last week, they may have known God in their mind, but they quit at some point, which is the beginning of our cycle. They quit at some point remembering how powerful and how great and how sovereign God is, and they abandoned that. If they, so God wanted them to have experience, to experience his deliverance. But because they were too afraid, they never had the opportunity to experience what God wanted them to experience, and they failed the test. Finally, in verse three, or chapter 3, verse 4, talking about all the nations that God left in verse 4, it says, They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hands of Moses. So we see here that the final reason for testing is to see if they would obey. To see if Israel would obey his word. To see, because it's... it's, it's you know, this question always is, is posed, like, you know, why would God have even given the option for Adam and Eve to sin? You, know, you can go back there. Or why did God leave the people that were sinful around Israel? Why did he give Israel the opportunity to sin? Well, it's a test. He wants to see if they will obey him over other things. He doesn't want robots that will just blankly and mindlessly follow him, but he wants people who are truly committed to obeying him, even in hard times. And so God gives a test to Israel to see if they would obey. 
So he gives them a test to see if they would have courage, to give them experience so that they would trust in him more, and to see if they would truly obey him above all. And all of these things would have ended in good for Israel. If they would have had courage, they could have taken the land. If they would have had more experience, they would have trusted in God more. If they had obeyed his word, they would have had the blessings that were promised to them, and yet they don't do any of these things. Instead of courage, they live in fear. Instead of getting experience, they just are lazy. And instead of obeying God's word, they follow other gods. Israel fails the test that God has given them. But keep in mind, it's their failure that causes the rest of the consequences that we see through the book of Judges. Not God's failure, but theirs. Real quick, and I, 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 as we think about testing, you think, well, this is interesting that God would do this to Israel you know, if this was a one-time moment, it would be interesting to look at and say, why would God choose this one moment in history to test his people? But that's not true. Actually, let's just take a moment, and I want to look at the history even before Judges. We'll just talk about before Judges. Three specific times that we've already seen God test his people. That a good test was given. And honestly, the other, the other ones that I've seen that we're going to look at actually end up where the people pass the test. And we see that good did come from tests that are past. So we're going to see that God has a history of testing his people. In Genesis chapter 22, 1 through 24, and we won't read the whole passage. But in Genesis chapter 22, uh, it's the the well-known story. And if you don't know the story, I'll explain it quickly. But it's Abraham and Isaac. Abraham... Uh, was the one that God called to start Israel. He, he called them out of his native land to follow him, and he promised him land in Canaan. He promised him descendants. He promised him a blessing. And Abraham has promised all of these things. And he, one of the things he's promised is you will have descendants. And then if you know the story, Abraham waits uh, like a 100 years, give or take some time, but he waits that long before he finally is able to have his firstborn son. There's a lot of other things that happen where he actually has other women uh, have a child for him and, and it gets weird there. But in the end, Abraham finally comes to the point where he trusts God. God gives him that son that he needs to have descendants that are his blood descendants. And then God comes to him and says, hey, Abraham, I know I just gave you Isaac. You know, you think this is the future, but I've decided I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. To, to literally take him up a mountain and slaughter him as an example of your, your devotion to me. So Abraham does the unthinkable. And he actually leads his son up to the mountain, has his own son carry the wood. They go up to the mountain. He gets ready. He's to the point where he's got the knife ready to go. The knife is ready to kill his very own son because that's what God has asked him to do. Obedience to God was Abraham's ultimate motivation at this point. He had faith in God that God was going to do something through this experience and he was faithful and obedient and God stopped him. And of course, God doesn't want child sacrifice. God stops him, provides a ram. He's able to use that as the sacrifice instead. But out of that test, and we're specifically told in Genesis 22, it says God tested Abraham. That test was, Abraham, will you follow me? Will you obey? Even if I ask you to give the thing that is most precious to you. And Abraham did. He was willing to do it. And we're told at the end of Genesis chapter 22, because of Abraham's faith that was strengthened, 
His faith that was seen and strengthened through this experience that Abraham's descendants would receive eternal blessing. Eternal blessing and eternal joy. That would ultimately be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. But the idea here is that because Abraham was willing to take the test and he passed the test, God gave great blessing and joy to Abraham. The next one we could look at And there's question about which timeline comes first, whether Job was before Abraham or Abraham before Job, but it's Job. Uh, The whole book of Job is about testing. Now, this is, we're not going to go through the whole book, obviously, we don't have time to read all that. But I do want to read one uh, quick verse from the book of Job. Um, From the book of Job, we see this verse that Job understands why he's going through what he's going through in chapter 23. Real quick, if you don't know the story of Job, Job has everything you could possibly want and more. He's got family, he's got wealth, he's got everything in this world you could ask for. Satan comes before God and says, let me take it all from him so that he'll curse you. And God says, go ahead. And Satan does that. And actually, go back just one more thing. Actually, God, first of all, says to Satan and says, have you considered Job? See, actually, God points out Job to Satan. He says, look at Job. He's, he's following me. And look at him. And then Satan says, well, let me test him. And God says, all right, go ahead. And he takes everything he has, his family, his health, his wealth, everything. He even brings his friends and his wife to a point where all they can do is tell him that he's wrong. And Job never curses God. He has questions. In a sense, he complains too much, and God kind of chastises him for that. But he never cursed God. He never blamed God in the sense of saying, God, you are doing this, and this is unjust. And in the book of Job, we see this story of Job as he finally, at the end, sees the sovereignty of God. And God says, I am good, and I am sovereign, even, even in suffering, and I will receive glory through everything. But Job 23, verse 10. Job even says this as he's talking about his situation. And in verse 10 of chapter 23 in the book of Job, he says this, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, that's a word for tested, when he has tested me, I shall come out as gold. Job understood that no matter what happened, that after that test, that God would do good for him, would be good to him, And receive glory through what he did to and through Job. And so we see that. God has tested Job and Job passed the test. And we see at the end of the book he receives great blessing, great joy. And God is seen to be glorious and Satan did not have the victory that he wanted to have. And then finally, most recently before the book of Judges, we see Israel in the wilderness was a test. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We will turn back there because it's only one couple books behind. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm not going to read the whole passage again. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, God is telling Israel why he did, he did what he did when he sent them out to the wilderness. Quick story, let's remember what happened. Israel comes to the land of Canaan. This is before Joshua's time. Well, actually, he's alive, but this is before the book of Joshua. They come to Canaan. They send in 12, tri- or 12 spies. Caleb and Joshua are two of them. Caleb and Joshua come back after spying out the land, and Israel is ready to cross the Jordan and take the land. The 12 spies come back. Ten of them say, listen, the land is great, but the people are too strong. We can't have victory. We shouldn't go in because we'll just get slaughtered. 
Caleb and Joshua being faithful and having courage and God say, no, actually, yes, the land is great and the people are big and the people are strong, but our God is bigger and our God is stronger. And they said, we can take this land, but all of Israel rebels against them and, uh, and even tries to kill them. They are so upset. And then they decide, no, we're not going to go in the promised land. And if you know what happens next, God sends Israel into the wilderness to wander around for 40 years. While all of the generation that said no to God died. But you've got to understand that that older generation, that the, uh, the generation of adults that die in the 40 years in the wilderness, there was a younger generation that was there too. There was a younger generation that was watching what happened. They watched their parents say no to go into the land. They watched everything as they traveled around the wilderness. They watched as God gave them manna to eat and water to drink, that their clothes never wore out and their shoes never wore out. They were able for 40 years to experience blessing even in the midst of God's curse of wandering. And we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16. And we're being told about who God is, and this is who it's talking about. It says, Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you, but then watch this, to do you good in the land, or in the end. God did what he did in the wilderness to humble and test the new generation to do good to them in the end. That new generation is the generation that comes to the Jordan River with Joshua as their leader, crosses the Jordan River, takes the land that God has given to them through his strength because they, they passed the test. They remembered what God had done and we see that they learned to trust in God completely. They grew in their faith. All these things, by the way, were not good things. Having to take the life of your son, of course, is not a good thing. Uh, all the things that Job had to experience were not good in the sense that they felt good. And Israel in the wilderness, it was not fun or good or feeling good for them to be wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. But all bad things happen for a good reason. When God is the one who is in charge, which he is. And so God has a history of testing his people. So it shouldn't surprise us when we get to Joshua and Judges. And we see in Judges where they're experiencing this test that they are failing. Whereas in the past we've seen God's people pass these tests. Now Israel fails it miserably. But there was good that was offered. There was good that was there. They gave it up because they failed. Because they wanted to walk away from God and walk towards other gods. So how does this all affect us today? Well, that's our last point today. God still tests his people now. God still tests his people now. There's no question to that. The New Testament tells us very clearly, very plainly, that we are going to experience testing and trials and troubles. I'm going to go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. And we see this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That's that idea of testing. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
these verses, we see three things, and I'm going to give you three other verses that talk about each of these things. But in this verse, in verses 6 and 7 of 1 Peter 1, we see that there are going to be trials. And what are the trials for? Well, 6 and 7 tell us pretty clearly. It says, first of all, in verse 7, you have the tested genuineness of your faith. See, God tests us for our faith, to grow our faith, for growth. And so the first thing we actually see in, in is actually the second, it doesn't matter what order you go in here on point four, but the first thing we see in 1 Peter 1 is that God tests us for our growth. And that's actually the second bullet point on your notes. But God tests us for our growth in the second bullet point. But then it goes on and it says that he tests us to test the genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I missed the first bullet point. Actually, the first bullet point is God tests us for our joy. Let's actually go back for a second. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The first thing we see that God tests his people now, he tests us for our joy. He wants to give us joy. Not happiness that fades away like the world offers, but true joy and contentment in him. And that's where we start in verse 6, and I'm sorry I got ahead of myself, but in verse 6, in this you rejoice. The trials that you experience, the tested genuineness of your faith, all of these things, it's to make you rejoice. James 1-2, many of you know this, James 1-2, and keep your finger there after we look at this. It's one book back, James 1, chapter 2, or chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that what? The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And actually, one more verse. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we see our first two points. James 1, 2 tells us that God does test us for our joy. He agrees with First Peter. Uh, the other thing is God tests us for our growth, number, point number two. In verses three and four, we see that here in James. The testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness has its full effect that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing, perfect and complete, mature, lacking in nothing. That we can be complete in Christ through testing. See, this is a good thing. God tests us so he'll give us joy. God tests us for our growth. And finally, at the end of 1 Peter, uh, this passage, at the end of chapter, or verse 7, it says, All of this happens may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, God tests us for his glory. Not only for our joy and for our growth, which is about us, but ultimately the reason that he wants us to be joyful, the reason he wants us to grow, is so that he will receive glory, so that he will look good. Let's just take a minute to think about that. If Israel would have passed the test that he gave them, the world around would have seen God for who he is. The glorious God who gives all things and gives all blessings to his people. The world around them would have seen God work in Israel and he would have received glory. But instead, they tried to receive glory for themselves and it is a disaster. Going back to growth, think about how the understanding of what Israel went through. If they would have just obeyed and if they would have done what God said, if they would have passed the test, they would have grown in their faith in him. 
as they experienced war, as we talked about, as they went forward and saw God work, they would have had growth in their lives, growth in their faith. And finally, back to joy. If Israel would have passed the test, they would have had rest and joy and blessings through a courageous conquest. They would have had the conquest that God had offered. They would have had all the joy and blessing that he promised. They gave all that up. They gave up joy. They gave up growth. And they gave up God's glory for themselves to mix and to worship false gods. Just as, just to mention this real quick, we know that all things that God does are for good according to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. Beyond that, in 29, it talks about God's purpose of making us more like Christ. We'll read that in its entirety as our benediction this morning. To remember that all that God does, he does for good. For those who are called, his people, his people that love him, he will do what is good. So the tests that we experience aren't for our bad, they're for our good. So let's conclude this morning. The first question is, is, are you a part of the people of God? We've talked a lot about testing and how people, the people of God are tested. And God tests them for a very good purpose. But I'll put it this way. If you never enroll in school, you'll never have to take a test. And you'll never get to know more. And you'll never learn more. And you'll never end up understanding what you need to understand if you never enroll in the test in the first place. And I would say this. God says he wants you to be his He sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to rise again three days later, to say, even though you've sinned and walk away from me, I have taken your place. I love you enough to give you eternal life and a relationship with God forever. If you will truly just trust me and have faith in me that I did all those things and that I am who I am, and you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I need you more than anything else. I want you more than anything else. I know you died for me. I need your forgiveness. Please give me your forgiveness. I want to stop living for myself. I want to live for you and tell God that and start to live a life in which we truly trust in him, that our hearts trust in what God is doing and what he has done. But just keep in mind, if you do that, there's probably tests that will come, but they're not tests for your bad. They are tests for your good. So if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you haven't come to Him and given your life to Him to repent and to say, I'm done living trusting in myself and I'm going to trust in Jesus, then make today the day you do that. But maybe today you, you sit here and you know you already know Jesus. Do we have the courage to trust in God when we are tested? Do we have the courage to trust in God when we are tested? Or do we rely on something else to pass the test? See, there's one thing you can do during a test, and let's say a school test. It can make it easier, but it's not going to do any good for you, and you could cheat on the test. So in a sense, are we trusting in God, or are we cheating on God in our tests? Are we running to other things, other people, other ways of dealing with troubles? When we have struggles in life, do we put it in God's hands and trust Him that This very well is a test that is going to be for our good if we will just obey him and trust him. Now, obviously, sometimes troubles will become because we're already failing the test. That's what happens in Israel. And if you have a life that is just failure after failure and time and time again, God is going to continue to make your life miserable until you come back to him. 
Because he doesn't want you to be away from him. And sometimes that means you've got to go to the bottom to come back up. But maybe it's just, so no matter where you're at, it might be a more severe test or maybe it's a smaller test. But if God is testing, he wants you to come to him in faith and trust him above all else. But when we rely on something or someone else to get through the test, whatever that might be, I could give you a list. You guys know what you might run to in times of trouble and trial and test and pain. Maybe it's food, maybe it's people, maybe it's uh, some specific sin that you struggle with. Maybe it is a form of, of your work or your money. I don't know what it might be for each and every one of us, but something we want to run to when try, times get tough. Don't run to those things, run to God. Don't cheat on Him, but run to Him. And finally, do we really believe that God has good intentions? Or do we doubt God and blame Him? Remember what Job went through. And yes, he had a lot of questions, and yes, he complained a bit. And he didn't quite understand God completely, and God had to give him some understanding. But Job never cursed God. He never said, God, you are not good for doing this. Actually, Job, if we were to look at the book, said, how can we accept bad or good from God and not accept bad? Because God gives everything. So when we are going through a tough time, when, we are, when things are not good for us, are we so quick... To say, God, you don't know what you're doing. How dare you do this? Why are you so unfair? Why are you so unjust? Or do we say, God, what are you doing? Because I know something good is coming. Job said, I know I'm going to be refined and I'm going to come out as gold. I don't know what it is for you this very moment that you might be going through in life and you're wondering, what is God doing? Why am I hurting? Why is my life the way it is? Well, God, maybe it's because he's dealing with you to bring him back to himself because you've walked away from him. Or maybe you're walking with him and he just wants to give you something good, to strengthen you, to give you joy, to give you growth, to make him look good through your life. And I would say that even if you go your whole life and you end up never understanding why God, what he did, but you were faithful to him through the testing, through the trials, through the troubles, that the people around you will notice. They will see your faithfulness and that it was a witness to the power of Christ. And so do we really believe that God has good intentions? Because if we do, it'll shape the way we live. It'll shape the way we react. And people will know. So the question today as we look at Israel is they failed a test. Are we going to pass the test or are we going to fail it? And I think each and every one of us has our own tests that we face. There's not one test that all of us have, but... I do understand that there is some commonality, and that is that God wants to do good for us, but yet we have a, uh, a, uh, an inclination to fail tests, but we need to trust him, and that's how we pass. It's not in our own strength. It's not by studying enough. It's not by strengthening ourselves, but it's by trusting in him and his strength. Several times in the last couple of years, I've heard... Uh, one of our, our members in home group used this quote. I think it's one of the greatest quotes that you can kind of grab onto and remember what we've talked about this morning. But it's actually from Johnny Erickson Tata. If you know Johnny Erickson Tata, I would encourage you to read her story, read some of her books. She went through what most people would consider the worst things you could go through. She can't walk. I mean, she's completely paralyzed. And she's had a life by most standards if the world looked at that wouldn't be worth living. And yet God has done some incredible, amazing things through her life. 
At one point, she even wanted to take her own life. But then she came to this conclusion, and I think this is a good way to end this sermon, as we think about trials and tests that God gives for our good. And this is what she said. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. If you remember anything, remember God's word teaches us that yes, bad things happen, but he does it for good. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. With that, let us pray. Lord, I thank you for the reminder this morning from your people Israel and from Abraham and from Job and and God, even from Johnny Erickson Tata and the reminders that you've given us in our lives that you are a God who is at work in us. And sometimes we can wonder what you're doing. We can be upset with what you're doing. We can even walk away at times where we feel like you're not doing what you should for us. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to have courage. Help us, if we are truly your people, to trust you completely, even in hard times. Help us to understand that you have good intentions and trust in you and believe in you and put ourselves in your hands. Quit trying to find other things to solve our problems, but Lord, that we would run to you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here in this congregation that is struggling in any one of these ways, that is just in a place where they're not looking to find you and they're not really putting themselves in your hands, but are running away and they're cheating on you, Lord, I pray that you would convict and you would restore. And God, I pray this morning that you would continue to teach us and guide us and lead us through the good times and the bad, through the times that we don't understand and the times we see great things happen. Lord, I pray that you would keep us faithful to you at all costs. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please join?